0: We have an anchor that keeps The anchor the of the soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. There are a lot of folks, sadly, in the church that lack a sense of confidence or security in their relationship to God. I know this because it has been expressed, I've heard statements made in the past, and I guess maybe one of the first statements that I recall many years ago when I was in college, a friend of mine and I were really cutting our teeth, learning to preach and teach, and we were working with a small congregation in North Nashville, and there was a brother that was bivocational, he had a secular job, but he was also preaching and Basically, he was holding that little church together. And this buddy of mine said that this particular brother expressed hesitancy to admit that he believed that if he were to die, he'd go to heaven. He just felt like he couldn't say that. And maybe out of humility, he didn't want to sound arrogant or proud or haughty. And I understand that. But by the same token, I really and truly believe that God wants us to feel secure in our relationship to him. It would be a miserable life to say that we belong to Christ and then worry from day to day if something were to happen, would we be saved? And so in John chapter 10, we're going to look at what Jesus has to, has to say about our relationship to him. And he uses a figure, a figure of speech. Sometimes we talk about metaphors and Jesus here identifies himself as the good shepherd. And he talks about those who follow him and identifies them as the sheep. And so the relationship that is born out in this text has to do with the shepherd and the sheep. And so I want to begin by, first of all, talking about the presence of the shepherd. And Jesus said, my sheep... Hear my voice. And I think about this personal presence that we have, this ongoing presence with the shepherd. I want to begin by emphasizing the shepherd's passion for the sheep. In verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. There are three things that I would suggest along these lines as we talk about the passion that the shepherd has for the sheep. First of all, the shepherd, that being Jesus, is interested in the sheep. That is, he's interested in us. He's genuinely interested in us. In verse 10, Jesus would say, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus is interested in us having an abundant life. A life that is filled with satisfaction. A life of contentment. Now I understand that we face heartaches and pains and trials and tribulations. Temptation is a common part of life. But Jesus here is saying that he has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And that abundant life is available to all who are in Christ. An abundant life is a life that is rooted or planted in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. It's not in things, it's not in material goods, it's not in money. While those things may bring temporal blessings, that's not the taproot of satisfaction, contentment, and happiness in life. And then he talks about his investment in the sheep. Listen to him again, he said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. He goes on to say in verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now drop down and note if you would, what he says in verse 15. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He said, Another sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. There will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, Jesus here is talking about, in the future, his death on the cross and bringing both Jew and Gentile together in one flock or one fold or one body. That was accomplished on the cross. You remember in Ephesians 2.16, Paul said that Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. So that's what Jesus is talking about here. But he's speaking about investing in us. How does he invest in us? He gives his life for us, doesn't he? He willingly, sacrificially, humbly laid down his life for each and every one of us. And so picking up in verse 17, Jesus said, Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down, I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Jesus willingly went to Calvary. He willingly went to the cross and died for our sins. Now, we talk about investing in us as a parent. Many of us have invested in our children. We have a vested interest in their well-being. We provide for them physically, materially, hopefully and prayerfully spiritually. But we have invested in them and we've done so because we love them. We care about them. Well, that's the same way with God. God has invested in us because we are the crown of his creation. And then he talks about his intimacy with the sheep. Go back and look at verse 4 if you would. In, well, in verse 3 he said, talking about the sheep, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Again, suggesting this intimate relationship that we have with the Lord. Then look at verse 14 if you would. In verse 14 he says again. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold; Them also I must bring and they will hear my voice. There will be one flock, one shepherd. Again Jesus talking about this intimate relationship. And then in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. So the Lord is very passionate about us. As his sheep. And then think with me in the second place about his precepts. He's given some precepts to his sheep. Look again at verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. I think about how the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know of him. Not only do they hear him, but they heed him. And that's very important. Now, when we talk about the security of the believer, What's going to undergird the security, the relationship that we have with Jesus is really underscored in this verse. He said, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and note, they follow me. They follow him. They listen attentively to what he says, and then they walk in harmony or or in accordance with his will. And so, again, undergirding this relationship. You remember in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus began his public ministry. What is typically called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, by way of laying down some foundational truths, said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And then there's a passage in John chapter 8, verse 31, I would share with you. In John 8, 31, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. What's the litmus test of knowing whether or not we have a true relationship with the Lord? Honoring his word, isn't it? That's what he's saying in John chapter 10 and John chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 7. We talk about this relationship that we have. Well, he's given us some precepts or some commands to follow. There's a second major point I would want to share with you, and that has to do with the provisions of the shepherd. Look at verse 28. In verse 28, Jesus said, and I give them eternal life. Let's talk a minute about the source of eternal life. Jesus said, I give them eternal life. What was the mission of Jesus? Do you remember in John chapter 3? Jesus in the long ago said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus came that we might have. Everlasting life. Now, we talk about this abundant life, and there is an abundant life that is to be realized by those of us in Christ here and now. But there is a better life that awaits us one day in heaven. In John three seventeen, Jesus said, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but rather that the world through him might be saved. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus spent some time talking to a rich young ruler. And this fellow had difficulty laying aside his riches to follow him. And so the apostle Peter said, Lord, we've left all and followed you. And Jesus, on the heels of that, said, no one has left parents or houses or wife or brothers or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time, but in the age to come, he said everlasting life. Jesus is interested in us enjoying eternal life, everlasting life. In John chapter 6, when Jesus talks about how he is the bread of life, he emphasizes that those who partake of him, who partake of his flesh and blood, they become the recipients of everlasting life. Now, the Lord is the source of eternal life, but what about the surety of eternal life? Can we bank on what the Lord has said? Do you know people that you can absolutely depend on everything they say? They're bankable, as we say. You believe what they say. They're going to they're abide by their word. There used to be a day and time in our country, our country where people stood by their word. A lot of times business transactions were really... Really, many business transactions took place by just a shake of a hand. Somebody's word, it meant something. Well, when the Lord says something, He means it. And we can bank on it. As a matter of fact, Paul said, speaking of God, that we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began or before the world began. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, the Bible talks about how it is impossible for God to lie. So in John chapter 14, you remember Jesus in chapters 14 through 16 has an extended discussion with his apostles, his disciples. And he talks about the fact that he's going away. And so in John chapter 14, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. He said, believe also in me. Can we believe that what Jesus says is true? Absolutely. We can bank on what he says. We can take it to the bank as we say. So he said, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many abiding places. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you, that if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So we have the luxury of depending on what the Lord says. As a matter of fact, every single promise in this book is dependable. You remember in 2 Peter chapter 1, The Apostle Peter talks about those exceeding great and precious promises. There are a lot of promises in the Bible, one of which is everlasting life. Listen again to what Jesus said. And I give them, that is the sheep, that is those who follow him, those who are of his fold, his flock. He said, I give them eternal life. That's a great promise. To know that we live in hope of life eternal. The body may die the soul lives on as a matter of fact in John chapter 11 in John 11 we have the death of Lazarus the friend of Jesus you remember John relates how Martha came to Jesus and when she came to Jesus she said Lord if, you're, if you had been here my brother would not have died in verse 22 she said but even now I know that whatever you ask of God God will give you And Jesus said to her your brother will rise again Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now I want you to listen to what Jesus said. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Now listen to the question he asked. Do you believe this? I would ask you, do you believe That what Jesus has promised, he'll bring to pass. If you don't believe it, if I don't believe it, then in all reality, we're wasting our time. But we believe it. And we believe that everything the Lord has said will come to pass. So the beauty of what we're talking about is that when this temporal life comes to a crashing end, and it will one day. There is life beyond the grave. And so what Jesus asked Martha is relevant to us. Do you believe this? I hope we do. And then thirdly, there is the promise of the shepherd. Let's think about the promise of the shepherd. Go back again and listen to what Jesus says, beginning in verse 27. And I want to emphasize that the Lord here is reassuring his sheep. About their relationship to him. And we talk about how sometimes we need to emphasize and reemphasize. We need to reassure people. Well, Jesus here is reassuring his sheep. He said, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. And he said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. He said, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Now, sadly there have been some that have taken these verses and tried to build a doctrine around the idea that once you're saved, you can never fall from grace. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. What Jesus is saying is that you and I can have a relationship built on the Lord, built on abiding in His Word, living according to His will, and we can rest assured in that relationship. The bottom line is the key to security in Christ Doing what he says. How do I know that? Well, listen again. He said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. If we're walking in the light, that is in accordance with the will of God, if we're doing our best, trying to live in harmony with the will of God, then we're, we have the assurance of going to heaven, don't we? Let me just call attention to a passage of Scripture. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. I want you to see this because I think it's very important in light of what we're discussing. In 1 John chapter 1, one of the things that John does is emphasize the security that we have in our relationship to the Lord. We have fellowship with God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, based on verse 3. That fellowship extends horizontally to those who are of like precious faith. In verse 6, John said, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, that is, if we're walking out of cadence with his will and his word, then John said we lie and do not practice the truth. But he said if we walk in the light, that is, if we walk in harmony with his word, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When you became a Christian, when you obeyed the gospel, What you said was, I'm getting out of this old way of life and I'm going to now live my life in accordance with the will of God. You've gotten out of, as some have said in the past, the sinning business. That's not how you live anymore. And so you're striving to walk in the light. Well, what happens if you stumble and fall? In chapter 2 verse 1, John said that God's desire, His ideal, is that we might rise above sin. Listen to Him. My little children, these things I write to you, that you may not sin. That's what God desires, that we rise above sin. But He said, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Okay, That advocate, Jesus, is standing before the bar of heaven, and He is pleading our case before God the Father. The basis upon which... We maintain good standing with the Lord is what? His blood. The blood of Christ. So if we succumb to temptation, if we fall short of His will, stumble and fall, what's the remedy? Well, back up and look at verse 9, chapter 1. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if I stumble and fall... What John is saying is, I acknowledge that wrongdoing, I repent of it, I ask God to forgive me, and I move forward. Now, I want you to see one other thing in connection with what we're discussing. Look over in chapter 3. I think in chapter 3 of 1 John, he makes it crystal clear about what he's talking about in relationship to the security that we have in Christ. And there is one, well, there's really, there's really. Two words I want you to see, or two, two statements, specifically. And it revolves around those who practice righteousness and those who practice unrighteousness. Pick up with me, if you would, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. John said, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. In other words, if I'm striving to do what's right, if I'm trying to walk in the light, walk in harmony with the will of God... Then what did John say? He said, I'm righteous. He said, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. He's not saying here that once you become a Christian, it's impossible for you to sin. He's not saying that you'll never sin again. What he is saying is that you don't practice a life of sin. Why? Because you're practicing righteousness. Back in verse 7. He said, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. Again, if you look at the context in chapter 3, chapter 1, he's not saying it's impossible for you to sin. He's saying that 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 way of life has been put to death. It's over with. You can read Romans chapter 6. We die to the love and the practice of sin. We rise to walk in newness of life. In Galatians 5, 24, Paul said that they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and lust. There is a putting to death of that old way of life. And so in verse 10, he said, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Okay, how can I discern between those who are God's children and those who are the devil's children? He tells us, doesn't he? Listen to what he says. In this the children of God, the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. And I said there are two phrases, two statements I wanted to really key in, I wanted you to see. The first is those who practice righteousness, verse 7. The second is those who practice unrighteousness, those who do not practice righteousness, verse 10. There's a lot of difference in somebody who is walking in the light, striving to live in accordance with the will of God, who's trying to walk in, in humble submission to the commands of God, and somebody out here who says, you know what, I just don't care. I'll live how I please. And they don't care. And there are people in the body of Christ, sadly, that have come to that conclusion. They've gotten sucked back into the world. And so rather than practicing righteousness, they're practicing unrighteousness. If they're practicing unrighteousness, then they're in a lost condition, even though they've been baptized into Christ. But we can have security in our relationship to to God. How can I know? How can I be dead certain? That I have an ongoing relationship with God and that I have everlasting life. Is that not not what God wants for me in this life? I think the answer is yes. Well, I can be certain if I'm walking in the light. 1 John 1, 7. I can be certain, I can say unequivocally that I know I'm going to heaven because that's what John said. Listen to him in chapter 5. Look at 1 John chapter 5. In 1 John 5, verse 11, John said, This is the testimony, this is the record, this is the witness That God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. First of all, we have to ask the question, am I in the Son? If I'm in the Son, then I have life. In verse 12, he said, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Those who are outside of Christ, they don't have life. Those who are walking in darkness, though they may be baptized believers, if they're walking in darkness, they don't have life. But if we're in Christ and we're walking in the light, then we have life. Now verse 13, here's what John said. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's important. This is an ongoing relationship, progressive in nature. He said, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, K-N-O-W, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Not once saved, always saved. Once we become saved, we are striving to the best of our ability to walk in the light, to live in accordance with the kingdom of God or the principles of the kingdom of God. If we do that, we're safe and secure, aren't we? That's what the Bible teaches. So what John is saying is, look, I've written to you, I've done so in an effort that you might know, that you might know without a doubt, without any hesitancy, that you have eternal life. Now, I want to ask you a question in closing. Jared mentioned a moment ago in his prayer the Apostle Paul. And he talked about the confidence of Paul and the crown of life that was awaiting Paul. When you look at his life, there are a lot of great great principles that you can learn from how he lived. One of the things that stands out to me is the absolute confidence that he had in in his relationship to God. Let me give an example of what I'm talking about. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about how the outward man is perishing and the inward man is being renewed day by day. And then he talked about how we don't look at the things which are seen, but rather the things which are not seen. He said the things which are seen are temporary. The things which are not seen are eternal. In chapter 5 verse 1, he said, for this we know. Think about that. He said, for this we know that if the earthly house of our tabernacle, that is this body, be dissolved Give way to death. We have a building of God, a house not made with hands. That's confidence. That's assurance. One other passage, and then I'll close very quickly. I want you to see this. 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you don't have it underlined, I'd encourage you to underline it in your Bible. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is coming to the end of the, end of the road here on planet Earth. Death is looming. And so he said in verse 6, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Listen to what he says. I have kept the faith. That's key. That is an absolute key. And so as a result of that, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, what does he say, might give me? I hope he gives me. I think he'll give me. No, he said, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but to all who have loved His appearing. What's Paul saying? Paul is saying, look, I know death's coming. But I know this, when death comes, there is a crown of righteousness that is waiting on me. Now, Paul had that that kind of security and had that kind of confidence. Don't you think God wants us to have that same kind of security and confidence? When you come to the end of your life here on planet Earth... Let's just say that you're in a hospital bed and you know your time is short. When you're lying in bed, do you want to be thinking, I hope I go to heaven? I think I'll go to heaven. I sure hope the Lord will save me. Or do you want to be like Paul and say, you know what? I know the end is near. But I know this, when the end comes, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. That's confidence. And I think that's what Paul is saying. We ought to have, I think that's what Jesus is saying in John chapter 10, that as one of his sheep, as one of his followers, we ought to have security in that relationship. If we're doing our best, there is not a power on earth that can pull us away from the Lord. The key to everything we're talking about, follow this book. If you'll follow this book, it'll get you home. Talk about GPS today plug in an address, you follow that, you'll get to your destination. Well, if you follow this book, you'll get to your destination. If you don't follow it, you'll end up where you don't want to go. The psalmist said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. I would hope and pray that all of us have confidence in our relationship to God. In closing, are you a Christian? If you're not a Christian, you don't have eternal life. You can have it, but right now you don't have it. How do you get it? You obey the gospel. What did they do on Pentecost Day? Peter said, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And he said, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those who did that on Pentecost Day were added to the body, Acts two forty-seven. The exhortation then, be faithful until death. The promise being the crown of life, Revelation 2, verse 10. If you're here tonight and you're a Christian, but for whatever reason, you like those of whom Peter spoke of in 2 Peter chapter 2, have forsaken the right way. Could I encourage you to come back to the right way? Come back to the Lord. If you'll do that, God will abundantly pardon. James said, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. Thank you for listening to the anchor of the soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of The Anchor of the Soul. Fasten to the rock which cannot move.